there was raptors, mm-hmm. and so many of them in one place, hawks, eagles, whatever. They're here because the Creator, for whatever reason, this, this is where they congregate. This is where they've been for who knows how long. And it was set aside for that purpose. That was Ted Howard, the chairman of the Shoshone Paiute tribe. These tribes once freely occupied the land in the tri-state area of what is now Idaho, Nevada, and Oregon, and Ted Howard, who was the cultural resource director for the tribal government before becoming the chairman, is steeped in this history. This interview with Ted Howard was recorded as a part of an oral history series on the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area. This series, called Dedication Point, was produced by the Birds of Prey NCA Partnership with support from the Bureau of Land Management and the Archives of Falconry. While many of the interviews recorded for this series are focused on the very recent history of the Snake River Canyon region, this interview with Ted Howard takes us back to the earliest interactions that humanity had with this landscape and also provides crucial insight into issues over land ownership in southwest Idaho and throughout the West. That's one thing with Indian people. There's certain things and places that are sacred and that's the way it is. There's nothing around that's gonna change that. Mainstream society, the only thing that's, that's sacred to them is the almighty dollar. That's what it's about. And this entire area, anywhere you go, you're on the homelands of some tribe. Sometimes tribe, tribes, but that's another thing. No matter where you go in the U.S., you're on Indian land. These reservations are where we've been for a very short period. And sometimes it, they make it sound like we've always been here. No, you're on our home here. Right. In the Boise Valley, all entire southern Idaho is still an unsaddled issue. It's never been transferred to the U.S. government. Indians still hold land title to that. Yes, the Boise Valley Treaty, the Bruno Valley Treaty, and these treaties that cover southern and southwestern Idaho were never ratified. The Indians signed the treaty, but when they took it to, to Washington, it was never signed by the U.S. Senate. And there was never a legal transfer of land title. And that's where it stands. You know, there's people up here in high levels that are making decisions that don't know those things. You know, and within the United in the Idaho State Constitution, it says that any lands that ha- don't have unsettled land title, uncleared land title, should not be traded or sold. That's within the Idaho State Constitution. I asked the the uh, Attorney General for Idaho one day when we were talking, I says, what's your interpretation of that? He wouldn't answer. I said, you guys are violating your own laws. You know, this is all in black and white. And and you, you seem to turn your head the other way and go ahead and do what you're not supposed to do. But all of these lands, these canyons, especially the Snake River, is an area of where resources have been for our people, always. That's why you'll find a lot of sites along the Snake River corridor. Campsites, fishing sites, there's burials. It's because this is where life is, whether that be the the fish, and on certain times of the year, salmon. But water is life, and whether it be deer, antelope, whatever, they have to come to water. They cannot survive without water. And that's where our people survive. And we've told agencies now over and over for years, and they don't seem to understand what we tell them. Sometimes we show them places, and a lot of new age people go over there and play games with our things. We don't appreciate that. 
So lately we don't even tell them anything. Because once you tell them you reveal something, it's going to get disturbed. Either that or so-called professional archaeologists are over there digging it up. You know? I said, no. They say they're protecting things. Oh, we're going to protect it. Yeah, take it over there and stick it in a drawer somewhere. That's not protection. Leave it where it is. Mm -hmm. That's where it was intended to be. So when it comes to, to some of these activities, I have a lot to say about it. And, and things that, that go on unheard. Several years ago, they were renovating the County Courthouse. I don't know how long you guys have been around here. But there was a mural. They had a wall, I guess, but there was, it was, uh, there was another wall behind it. And when they took that wall down, there was murals on it. And one of those depicted uh, an Indian person that was getting ready to get strung up by a couple of cowboys. There was a lot of discussion on that. Some people said it wasn't true. That never happened in the Boise Valley. Some people say it was offensive and should, should not be revealed. It should be done away with. But I reminded them, and I was on a, on a radio talk show in regard to that issue, that those are the things that happen here. Those are the things that happen to our people. A lot of our old folks and children and old men were killed. They couldn't defend themselves. They were slaughtered. Over there at uh, where Highway 20 crosses Middleton Road is a place where um, they call it the Ward Massacre Site. But there was five Indian people that were hung there, and they were left hanging there for years. Those are the kind of things that went on. And they, they, that's the side of history that mainstream society don't ever touch on. They will not tell those stories. But our people know those stories. Those are the things that happened to our people, and it's still happening. Maybe not the hanging part, but still the um, part of ignoring tribal rights and, and these land issues and, and stuff like that. You know, they, they try to wad us in with the rest of mainstream society, but tri uh, tribes are sovereign governments. Tribes were sovereign before the Euro-American people came here. They didn't give us sovereignty. We've always been sovereign. And there were certain things our people reserved. And in our case, we didn't relinquish any of our rights. It's all still there. Some tribes that have treaties reserved certain places they could fish and hunt and gather. But none of our rights has been relinquished. So all of this area along the, the Snake River. Some of those areas have been inundated by dams. You know, our salmon don't get up here anymore. That was one of the reasons our forefathers chose this place because of the plentiful resources, the deer, the elk, the salmon that were here. But not long after that, they started putting dams in the Snake River and it, and it stopped the, the migration of salmon the one that ultimately stopped it for us is 1932. They built the Wahi Dam down here just above uh, uh, Ontario, Oregon. There, That's the one that ultimately stopped this here. Uh, 1901, they built the Swan Falls Dam. That was the one that stopped everything from going any, anywhere above that. And then, of course, Hell's Canyon, more recently in the mid-50s, that... Uh, the Hell's Canyon complex, which is Hell's Canyon, Oxbow, and Brownlee, that totally shut it off. And uh, recently, the, the EPA, EPA signed over the oversight of the waters to the state of Idaho. Well, that was the worst thing they could ever do, because the state of Idaho refuses to do anything about cleaning it up. Several years ago, the Snake River was said to be the most endangered river in the lower 48. And I told the governor that. That day they signed that when they, they went around the room and took comments. And I told him I was totally against what was going on there. And he just made a joke of it. Well, ha, ha, they don't know what the, they've never seen the Potomac yet. But that's the attitude they have. You know, and, and these rivers are just... 
one old man from Fort Hall one day said, this river is no longer a river. He said, it used to be that this water went through here. It was a moving river. Now, he said, it's one stagnant pond above the other. He said, I don't think the salmon would survive if you threw him in there. It's too filthy, too warm. This area is our land. It still is. And there are many places that are still sacred to our people. These areas, are, are our sites, are referred to as prehistoric. We don't have a prehistory. We have one continuous history. And these sites that they call prehistoric are contemporary sites. We're a living culture. We're still here. We still practice our traditions. We still go out here to visit those sites. They're not prehistoric. We meet with the BLM monthly. Yeah. We go through all of this stuff. The, I also was on the, the Resources Advisory Council for the BLM for mm -hmm. many, many years. Mm -hmm. Then I, when I became chairman, uh, Lanil moved into that seat. <clears throat> but they've, I've shared with them many times, you know, our situation. Mm -hmm. And on the rack, the Resources Advisory Council, they call it the rack, mm -hmm. there are many different uh, interest groups that are represented there. And I always remind them that I'm not a part of an interest group. I'm here on behalf of a sovereign government, a government that the BLM has trust obligations to. We're a, we're a government. We're, we're a government, and we have a different relationship with the, tri with the, with the BLM and other agencies. Mm -hmm. Your clarification of prehistory versus history, right, I think is really important. Like, I want people to, um, who are listening to this to, to have an understanding of what the human communities in this area looked like before Europe, European people arrived on the continent. Oh yes, it goes back thousands of years. And I don't know if anybody even knows how many thousands of years, sure. but, it, but we believe in, and tribes believe that this is where the Creator put us. This is where we've, we were created. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of oral histories that, that will tell you about those things. And uh, our people did not live on reservations. We were not farmers. People moved with the resources. You know, in, in the summertime when it gets warm, they go up into the higher mountains to, to gather resources, you know, various resources that are ready for harvest, whether that be roots, you know, choke cherries, uh, you know, some groundhog, deer, and and they go off and, and, and do that. And when the salmon are running, they come back down to the rivers. In wintertime, they go back down to lower elevations. And that's the way our people live. We live with the earth. We do not, we're a part of the earth, and she is a part of us. And uh, we never changed the rivers and, and different things. We lived in harmony with it. Our people always say, take what you need, but always leave enough that it will always be there. So we never destroyed anything. We just harvested what we needed and moved on. But that resource was always, was always there. And that's the way our people uh, lived on this, on our homeland that we were close to the, we recognize that we were a part of the earth, that we're, we all come from the Creator as does all of creation, that we're no better than a deer or a coyote or anything, that, that we never, we don't go out there and destroy things. And that's what's different now with mainstream society. A lot of times they just go out there just to shoot a bunch of stuff just to kill it, you know? We don't do that. We'll go out and harvest something because we're hungry or need to store some food for the winter, but we don't take more than what we need. We don't discriminately kill just to kill. And that's the difference. Our, our cultures are very different. And uh, now it, it gets tough for people to, to 
get those resources that we're used to to having because it's not there anymore and uh, so so things are different you know when the Euro-American people came it was a new culture that came to our homeland and they started pushing us off our lands and, and killing our people and eventually did take our lands and uh, for them it was a new beginning for us it was the end of a way of life it was the end of the way our people live their lives and we're still struggling with that you know to to understand the trying to survive i guess in this day's world because laws change and and constantly and when we have a change in administration then those laws that were there uh, are, <laughs> are changed you know it depends on Sometimes environmental issues are a priority, and the next time it's something else. Recreation is a priority, and those are the things we struggle with because uh, we, we see our homelands being slowly destroyed because of these things. One day we were talking about a, a cultural resources management plan with the BLM, and my comment to them was, I think we need to develop a people management plan. I said, the, the resources have always been there. The resources have always done well on their own because the Creator takes care of those things. It's when the people show up is when stuff starts going downhill. Nowadays we have ATVs, UTVs, all kinds of toys that allows us to destroy all kinds of things. And also, you know, it's been said, and I know people have heard it, that when they use these vehicles, it picks up seeds that in the undercarriage of, of these vehicles. And if they don't clean it out, the next place they go, they scatter more weeds. And, and those are the kind of things that we see it everywhere. Another very common misconception I think is the number, just the the basic like number of people that were living here, right? And I think it's it's easy for like folks like us to to you know assume that that Native American populations were were always quite low. No, I think it's it's important to get like your reaction to that because that's like. A huge I, mis it's a huge misconception, right? I don't know if there's any way to get a true figure or even something close, but our people were, we had many, many more people. But as I was saying, when the Euro-American people came and they started taking over uh, the better places, and one of those is Boise, right, where the city is, that's where our people camp, that they started killing people. They started shooting people because they were a nuisance. They wanted to get rid of them. They didn't want them around. Our people were just a nuisance to them. And there was even a time, and, and if you go over to the museum in Murphy, Idaho, it, it, there's documentation of that, that. There were bounties on our people, on scalps, at one time. And if people didn't have the money to go Indian hunting, that they gave them the, the supplies they needed, that they could take it out and trade when they bring back scalps. And it was $100 for a man, $50 for a woman, and $25 for a child. And that was, that was their intent, was to do away with our people, to exterminate our people. But these canyons is how our people survived because they couldn't get us. You know, our people were uh, crafty enough to, to remain even today because of those places. And uh, so those are the hardships. Been, and But going to your question, I don't know how many people were killed. But our people were killed indiscriminately because, just because they were Indian. And we don't know how many were killed. 
you know, it's some of the places, you know, like Wounded Knee and Sand Creek and, Ma and Bear River, they've documented several hundred that were slaughtered at those particular places. But there was a lot of other places, too, where people were slaughtered, and there's no documentation of it. So I don't know if there, there's any way to answer that question. But yes, there were many more of us. I just I think it's it's important for people you know and especially like we're talking about um, you know these these areas that have been set aside and and and, and protected for um, for wildlife, um, but those areas weren't always uninhabited, right? And I mean I, the 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 what you just said about the importance of the canyons. Mm -hmm. um, specifically during that really difficult period of time for your people, I mean, that's really fascinating. That, and I, I imagine that the importance of those areas must be enormous mm -hmm. be, like, because of that and obviously also other reasons. But Especially in southern Idaho, you see this desert out here and water is few and far between. In the springtime, when there's uh, runoff, everything is green and nice and water is plentiful. But later on, the water, if you know where the water is, and our people did, they still do. But those springs that where there's always water. But the canyons, if you ever get on an airplane out here, you'll see the dry desert. But you get over those canyons and it's green and everything's lush down there. There's always life there. And in the winter times also, even now, the wind could be really blowing up here and it's cold and snow blowing and you go down there and it's dead still, just calm. So those are the kind of things our people always knew where to go when things start getting cold, whether they go down into the Bruno Valley or Boise or Maybe maybe it just got cold too quick. They couldn't make it that far, so they take refuge in a canyon. But there's enough resources there that you can survive. So so these canyons have always been, and they still are, important to us. But uh, you know that's that's a thing anymore. You know, up there at Diversion Dam above Boise, they're all rock climbing and raising hell around there, and and we don't really appreciate that because we have resources that are still still important to us. It's not a place we go to. We all like having fun, but I think there's places that, that you can do that. I don't know, like I said, anymore with these toys that they have, no matter where they go, they, they seem to, to leave a, a footprint that usually isn't, isn't a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, what about the, the birds themselves, right? I mean, you, you talked about, um, I mean, obviously we know that area is set aside because of the birds, but the birds have been there a lot longer, right? Um, and, and I'm sure when your people lived in that canyon or, or spent a lot of their time in that canyon that there was an awareness of the significance of that area for the, the raptors as well. Birds, animals, they're all important to our people. You know, there's there's certain birds, the feathers that are important for ceremony and various purposes, and uh, they're still that way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like I said, we believe that everything the Creator puts on this earth has a has a spirit of its own. Even the plants, if you notice these plants in the fall, they they like go dormant. In the spring, they come alive again. They come back, and that's because their 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 spirit is there. You know, and uh, animals, birds are the same way. And a lot of these spirits are, are spirits that, are, that we still rely upon from time to time. You know, from my understanding, when the Columbus or whomever first came, they, in a short period of time, uh, said that these people are godless people because they didn't understand They've never seen people that wore skins and wore feathers, and and to them that that these were heathens that didn't have any connection to to anything. 
And, and that was, <laughs> we were centuries ahead of them because we have a different connection and we still do with our Creator. A lot of these sites, they've carbon dated back uh, 10,000 years, some even 15,000 years. And I remember in a meeting one day, I reminded them when they were talking that kind of stuff, I says, yes, the beliefs of our people and our connection with our Creator predates the Bible by thousands of years because Jesus was born a couple thousand years ago. I said, these were here 15,000 years ago. So that's, we have a, a unique connection with our Creator, with the earth, with everything. And we still believe that way. Are, are there any particular um, like particular animals or particular birds that have um, like a specific or a stronger role in um, there is yeah. but I'd rather not elaborate on that because uh, like I said then people oh wow yeah we got to go get some of those you know no no not going there <laughs> This area and this, I mean, this project we're doing is focused on this, like, one particular patch of public land, this National Conservation Area. Your people lived in this area, like, this was your home, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, clearly you expressed that you, you want that area to be protected, right? Yes. But at the same time, like, the fact that it is protected inherently means that it's an area where people don't live, and yet... Is it protected? Well, <laughs> to a certain degree, right? I mean, not to the degree that we would probably like or that you would probably like, right? But, I mean, just the nature of that protection itself seems like it comes into conflict with um, some of the, the belief, like the, the belief system, right? And, and, and the history, because this was an area that, was, that people lived on. For thousands of years, right? But we didn't, our people moved with the resources. Okay. We didn't stay there. Mm -hmm. We stopped by there mm -hmm. every now and then on our way through. Mm -hmm. But we respect the, the, the area. When we're, when we're in sacred areas like that or there's stuff around that, there's prayers done. There's, mm -hmm. We live with respect to that. We're not shooting everything. You know, we're not destroying things, mm -hmm. and so so that's the difference. You know, it's it's probably always been that way. I don't know how long it's been that way. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, they say it's protected, but is it really protected? Right. Well, right, and and I mean, it's protected under the conditions that that, that the federal government sets for that type of designation right? yeah but and I mean they, we were and talking they, before, and they still yeah. chip away at it right right but I mean we were talking before about like treaty rights and there's I mean that's a, that's like a big really important issue obviously like you know but it's I mean I, I guess my question to you would be like is that issue relevant not just to areas like Boise that are occupied by lots of people, but also to areas that are set aside and managed by federal agencies like the BLM? Mm, of course. Yeah. You know, the, the treaties are even mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. It says that the treaties shall be recognized as the supreme law of the land, mm -hmm. but they're not. A lot of people don't even know they exist. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I mean, Indian Indian people are the only ethnic group that's mentioned in the in the Constitution of the United States. Look at it; you'll be surprised at what you find in there. And those are the things I point out to these agencies, you know, because they don't they don't seem to know that they try to water us in with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Said, no, you came to our homeland. This is our land that you've been settled on, and. And we made agreements with the government, and that's to be in perpetuity. Not, there's no deadline date on that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't change what the administration no. should be set, no. set in stone. 
But I mean, so it's it's I mean, it seems to me like it's it's sort of the lesser of two evils, right? What is the the I mean, areas like this that are managed by the BLM and other federal agencies. Well, that's you know, that's the best like that. That is the that that is land that 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 should be Shoshone Paiute land based on treaty rights. Right. Well, it still is. The, the, the right. land has never been transferred to the U.S. So, so it is, right? Mm -hmm. But, but your tribe is not given the the right to actively manage it, right? In the way you can actively manage the the reservation land. You know, we have to live with the laws that are in place. We don't have a choice. We have mm -hmm. to find some survivability in whatever kind of laws are being mm -hmm. imposed out there. Mm -hmm. We may not like it, but we don't have much voice. You know, the the Indian people, the total Indian people isn't even amount to 1% of the total population. So, you know, we have to survive in however we can with whatever those laws may be. Even though we may try to object to it, you don't have a choice. Yeah. So I, I'm curious about you know the this this area, this national conservation area that we're talking about. Um, I mean, there was a, a long, you know, it, it took decades of sort of advocacy and education work. Um, in order to like build up the political momentum to actually establish it as a national conservation area and set it aside, um, and I, I guess I just wonder like if the Shoshone Paiute tribe was 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 involved in that in any way. Did was there? Did you guys have uh, uh, like a seat at the table in any way, or did you want a seat at the table? It's just recently that tribes are able to sit at the table. Before then, we were heathens. Nobody talked to us. Nobody wanted to talk to us. No, they did whatever they wanted. Just recently are we able to speak, and they don't like it, because now many tribes have attorneys, they have doctors, they have mm -hmm. scientists, they have everything. Mm -hmm. And they're becoming more very powerful, some of them. Some of them have big casinos, they've got money, they've got lobbyists in D.C. They're becoming very powerful. Yes. But no, back in this time, no. Nobody asked us what we thought. But did you have an opinion? opinion about what, about what was About what was being proposed uh, to protect this area? I don't think the tribes even knew what was being proposed, I right. don't think, at that time. Right. And even, even now it's that way. A lot of times we oppose certain things, but and the BLM and other agencies have final say. Mm -hmm. So whether you like it or not, they want it, they're going to sign off on it. And that's the way this country is run. <laughs> uh, I know that in the NCA there's the New York Celebration Park and in the Guffey Butte, Black Butte District there are many sacred places. Um, so there's people like Matt and I and, and the general public that like to go to that area and, and recreate and hike and bird. There's some people that like to shoot and ride their OHVs and UTVs. Um, so if people are going to visit those areas, is there a way that we can be more aware and conscious and, and proceed and be out there and still be respectful of the places and, and the, the value that that area holds for your people? Well, as I said before, the Boise area was a place where our people, there was, they say there was camps that stretched for miles at times along that river. And in the 1860s, when, when gold was discovered in the Boise, in the Boise Basin, uh, they wanted Indians removed and, and like I said, I don't know how long our people have been there for thousands of years. Uh, after that, they started moving our people out. And up where present-day Arrow Rock Dam was, that's where they were for a long time. But yes, there's burials and stuff all around there. There are people who have been there for thousands of years.
it's just a painful thing for us to even re reflect on because we've told agencies over and over and over and over, but it don't make no difference. You know, it's not something they want to hear. To them, the Indian is some novelty item that you know, you're not real, you know, but that's okay. We, we like to hear from you once in a while, but, you know, our people have have a lot of, a lot of connection to our homeland, and we still do, but there's not much we can do or say about it. It is what it is. Boise is is a is a much more difficult. Um, it's it, it it's a lot more difficult to try to come up with ways to be respectful of the history of that area because it's there's because it's been taken over. There's so many people there, and it's mm -hmm. it's entire completely transformed, right? Um, but I mean the 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 land um, that is that makes up the this national conservation area um, is is different right because I mean that you can you can still see the evidence of the people that used to live there right um, and spend their time there and you can see the remnants of like these important areas right but that too is disappearing all the time mm -hmm. but I mean I guess like for folks that that are like legitimately curious and want to learn about that history in a respectful way without um you know without being disrespectful right like i mean I, a, a lot of people go to celebration park and like they want to learn about the 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 cultural history of of that area and the snake river canyon um i mean is 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 there like what would be your advice to don't talk to archaeologists because <laughs> they'll tell you all kinds of theories. They don't know nothing. But uh, like you mentioned, that you have worked with archaeologists, right? To. So I mean, we have yeah, to. yeah. I mean, are there? You know, yeah. I, I just laugh at them sometimes because of all of the stuff they come up with. I say, where the hell did you come up with that? <laughs> Indians do not support the migration theory, uh, the the land bridge. We do not support that stuff. You know, a lot many, many times these archaeological theories have been discredited, and yet they still stick with it. But then you ask an archaeologist about his theory and ask another one his theory, they don't agree. You know, they all have their own theories. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, I think the, the only way to learn is, is to have a little bit more interaction with tribes and also to understand, try to understand what tribes are saying rather than trying to change what they heard. Yeah. Yeah, that's, because uh, I know our own people say when they, when the Oregon Trail was going and they came through here that game and resources were depleted for 40 miles on each side because of all of the animals and, and the people that went through there and destroyed everything. And all of the resources that our people depended upon were destroyed as well because of all the livestock that ate up all of the resources that our people relied on. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and, and some things, you know, have never, never really recovered from that. When trappers came into the before the wagon train was the, the 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 trappers that came into the area, and they almost depleted all the beaver and the other resources because they trapped everything out. <laughs> yeah, sustainability has been a concept that I think uh, our culture has had a very difficult time yeah. um, grappling with. And um, you know, Matt and I both have a background in, in, in wildlife. That's the thing that that has been interesting interesting to us and. Uh, that's something with, within our own culture that we struggle with for mm -hmm. sure. Um, I'd like, I like I love birds of prey. I first came to Idaho to work in the canyon and, and and sort of survey the amount of birds and the type of birds that were there. And, and I fell in love with the place. I, I grew up in Louisiana originally, so I'm I'm far from home. Uh, but this place had a very big impact on me. Um, so that's something that we strive for. I would like to see 
those birds be there long past when our people are here. Um, and so I can definitely uh, sort of understand the, the struggle with sustainability. That is something that... But, you know, they allow shooting down there and birds of prey. And I know a lot of the things people shoot are, are small rodents and stuff. Those are food to the animals, yes. to the birds of prey. That should not be allowed. And I notice a lot of our petroglyphs, people try to shoot at them too. And, and just about everything I can, I can reference have been destroyed yeah. <laughs> or been impacted that way. And, and if you guys truly want to preserve the birds of prey area, then those resources that those raptors need to survive on needs to be protected as well. There shouldn't be any shooting in that area. Uh, because they, they need to eat just like anyone else. And that's what they depend on. And I think your point of people shooting things and, and just leaving them there, I've taken many pictures in the last few years of, oh, there's a pile, there's four badgers and 12 jackrabbits and yeah. 13 cottontails, and, and they're just left there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I support hunting for sustainability and to feed your family. Uh, I have... A really hard time seeing that type of thing mm-hmm. and and the, I, the question that is in my mind is why what you got maybe 10-15 seconds of, of entertainment yeah. out of this and this uh, you've lined out food for a month for a family of hawks exactly. or eagles um, and it it just hurts to, to see that and to think of the wastefulness and the uh, insensitivity and I don't know it, it's it's frustrating it is it's, um, it's sad to see that, but you, you try to tell them and, and they don't seem to change. You know, I, I really wish that the agencies would do something if they truly want to make a change is, is listen to what's being said and protect those resources. There shouldn't be any shooting up there. There shouldn't be any recreational vehicles allowed out there that just run amok. Yeah, designated roads. Uh, I think that's, you know, one person takes a truck off a road and the next person comes by and like, oh, there's a, yeah. someone went this way, I'm going to go this way. And before you know it, there's, there's a, a road. And then it rains and that road gets braided and before you know it, there's, yeah. you could drive, you know, five semi-trucks side by side down it. it it's insane. Yeah. An- another historical question for you. Um, I'm curious about how the Shoshone and Paiute tribes came together. Is that like, have the... We've always been You've one always people. been, okay. Um, so that, that's something that, that, that goes back many, many years and... There are many, many tribes that are related. Okay. From here to Oklahoma, sure. Texas. Sure, sure. Yeah, our, our languages are very similar. Some words are identical. They're the same. So we're not different tribes. Okay. Sure. The Shoshone and Paiute people inhabit all of the Great Basin. Gotcha. From Southern California to Canada, back down to Mexico, mm-hmm. into the Great Plains. Yeah, we're, we're a big, big group of people. But now we're on different reservations and identified as different people, but we're not. And so, I—I I mean, I—I I, I would assume there are strong connections with other. Oh yes. Other reservations. We have relatives. Because yeah. mm-hmm. when people were put on reservations, it was a lot like herding cattle. They just gathered these people up, and went over here, and some went over here. You know, there's families. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're split between. between yes. Reservations. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We have relatives scattered all over. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just the way it is. The names that we have now are names that the government gave us. Those, that's where our names came from. We're good. Are there a lot of people that still speak the original language here? You know, a lot of the remote reservations are still very strong in our tradition and culture and our language. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, the communities that are adjacent to cities uh, 
they really have a tough time with that. But we're uh, sort of isolated out here, and we retain a lot of lot of the the stuff that other communities don't. In fact, a lot of people come to our community to try to learn about tradition and culture and language because we still we still retain that. Yeah. But we do I do commend you for trying to protect the area and hope I hope that you can uh, do something that that is going to protect the area some because like I say it's it's certainly not protected. People say that it is, but the real disappointment is when they let that power line go through there, you know, and that's the most recent. Uh, we did not appreciate that. Still don't. I don't want to kind of dwell on this point too too much, but is is your opposition to the power line going through the area in general, or or do you have more of an opposition with the specific route that they took? It, is there, and I, I don't, I'm not advocating for one or the other, but is there is there a way, in your opinion, that a route could go through that area, whether it's north of the canyon or south, and still... Um, My work? recommendation to them was to parallel that, that power line that goes up on the, on the north side. Because okay. there's a power line there already, and, and they said they could get as close as, I think they said, 250 yards or something. It used to be like... Yeah, really quarter, a lot. Quarter mile or a half mile. Yeah, offset. but now it's a lot closer. So that was my recommendation: is to parallel that one and and not bother the the birds of prey. In fact, remove that power line that's down. That's there. the old one. That was that was my recommendation to them. No, it's interesting to hear and something you know. It's just interesting point of, of what your people think would be the best way to proceed You know, with that. some years ago, we worked on what they call the West-Wide Power Corridor. Mm-hmm. We spent years talking about those things, and we were uh, active in persi- participating and hoping, because from what I understood and the way we understood it, this, this corridor was where the pipelines and power lines and everything was going to be through this corridor. Okay, we had some resources in the area, but we were willing to to sacrifice those if if we can consolidate all that stuff into this area. But it never materialized. When they got done, they says, "Well, they could use the corridor if they want, or they don't have to if they don't want to." And I said, "We spent years sitting here talking about this crap, and now you're going to say, well, it's not required. They can use it if they want." No, I I just that. get so frustrated with the government. I saw that on the map uh, when I first started looking into the Gateway West. I was like, "Oh, there's a what's this WEC uh, Western Wide Energy Corridor?" Yeah, uh, and I was like, "Well, that seems like a great place to run a transmission line." And, and I was baffled, uh, as you apparently are, that why wouldn't you run the transmission line through the energy corridor? Yeah, that was <laughs> the intent, from my understanding. That's what that was for. Yeah, uh, baffling. For sure, and there's there's just I don't know over the years I I just been disappointed so many times with the with the government they'll tell you something that sounds good but when it's all said and done I've never seen <laughs> anything that that I I can uh, recall worth bragging about there there usually isn't much there. Well, it's a really interesting perspective um, to to hear you speak on on history. Um, when I when we think back, we think 200 years ago is a long time ago, and and we have a very narrow view um, of of what our history is, and 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 to think of that in 10,000 or 15,000 years, it's a blink of an eye, 200 years, um, and it's just a really interesting perspective to take not a step back, but several steps back, and think of of your culture and your people and your footprint on the land um, and think of, of what, I hate to phrase it this way, but what we've been able to accomplish mm-hmm. um, uh, in a short period of time. And it's a really interesting perspective to try to, to step back and look at it over you know, thousands and thousands of years. Um, so yeah, just thanks for sharing that perspective.
Yeah, it's not that long ago that, uh, you know, a lot of this terrible stuff that happened took place because a lot of our elders that we remember were around already at that time. Right. You know, uh, Lanil's grandfather just passed away and he was 100 years old. And, but he recalls a lot of stuff that happened out here. And he's from down to the south here. And uh, some pretty sad stories that, that he shared with things that happened to the people. And uh, same thing on some of our relatives from up north. Too many more people pass away and we lose some That's of the... That's the thing, you know, when a lot of our elders, whenever we lose an elder, there's a lot of knowledge that goes with them. Because a lot of our history is, is not written. And a lot of it is held within the families that, that these stories that are handed down. And uh, hopefully one day that, that we can share a lot more of that. That was Ted Howard, chairman of the Shoshone Paiute Tribe. If you'd like to hear more interviews from Dedication Point, our oral history series about the Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area, you can listen at birdsofpreyncapartnership.org slash dedicationpoint. You can also support our Patreon campaign for Eyes on Conservation in exchange for some cool rewards. Check this out at patreon.com slash wildlenscollective. The Eyes on Conservation podcast is a production of the Wild Lens Collective. Today's episode was produced by Steve Alsip and myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our music for today's episode is by The Great Turtle. <laughs>